Kia ora. Welcome to the Arise Church podcast. For more details, you can find us at arisechurch.com. But right now, we're going to hear a message from myself, our Wellington campus pastor, Chris White. We really trust you'll enjoy today's message. dad is not an easy thing there's a lot of there's a lot of external pressures there's a lot of internal pressures every dad will be the first to say where they probably you know not made the mark you know every dad knows that we've got high expectations on ourselves and uh, we really want to see great things happen and and I remember before I became a parent uh, I, you know naively thinking oh can't be that hard, really, can it? Yeah, I never said that out loud. You never say that out loud, would you? You know, uh, for those other parents who are st- struggling, other struggling dads, I think, oh, I'm sure we'll be better than that. Um, but, you know, like I'm, I'm thinking my, my wife, she's good with people. I'm, I'm okay with people. But I tell you what, fatherhood has been probably one of the biggest struggle strains on my personal self, but it's also brought some of the greatest joys. I think in the first couple of years, you know, I'll wake at night with kids. My gosh, you know, at one or two in the morning, I'm thinking, why am I so bad at this, you know? Uh, but I tell you what, there's so many great moments that come as well. And, uh, and, and parenting can be a surprising joy. Um, I, Anna and I, I remember, we, we thought of this great idea. We thought, We'd do something called dessert and devotions with our, with our kids. We thought this would be a great way to introduce them to God, be really spiritual with them. So we'd pick a night of the week, we'd, do, we'd have a dessert that night, you know, that'd be awesome. And then we'd do a devotional. So someone would read scripture, would open the word of God. And everyone would start to share their thoughts around the room. And, and obviously the presence of God would fall. Uh, that was our plan. You know, we'd pray together. It would be an amazing time of just, you know, growing in the Lord. And this would be a legacy we'd leave. Well, i tell you what, you know, Dessert and Devotions Night never looked anything like that. I don't know what it was with that particular night, but behaviour was at an all-time low. Every time we tried that, I thought all hell broke loose. I don't, you know, I don't know if hell had anything to do with it. I'm suspecting maybe it did. I'm not sure exactly, but I tell you what, there was more people in timeout on those nights than any other night. You know, like I'm pretty sure one Dessert and Devotions Night, there was only Anna and I left at the table. Everyone else was in timeout. We ate a lot of ice cream that night. It was, a great de- it was a great dessert night, that one. But I tell you what, then you had these other moments. And I recall a moment, Anna and I were talking the other day. There was this moment just recently where, you know, dinner was over. We're sitting at the table. No one's leaving. Everyone's hanging out. There's no angst between people. No one's trying to make everyone else laugh with stupid jokes, you know. Um, you know, there's just this amazing, uh, no better word to describe it than harmony. And we're all enjoying each other's company. You know, you know what that moment's like. You know, it might not be with your family, but you have friends over and then you've, you've finished your meal. And it's like, there's this peace there and you're enjoying that moment. And I thought, man, this is a moment you want to treasure. I didn't say much in that moment, but both Anna and I had a conversation about it later. We're like, I'm sitting there with a smile on my face and in my heart I'm going, man, this, this is a gift moment that any dad, any dad would love to have. And the funny thing was, as I was thinking about this Today, Father's Day, and I was thinking about this message, I felt like this is the kind of moment our Father in Heaven would love, where His family sitting around the table, they put aside any angst, any frustrations, you know, people are not sitting in time out, and they're enjoying each other's company. And there's a sense of harmony. You know, the best way we get harmony is through reconciliation. And so today, as ambitious as it is, I wanted to spend a few moments talking about how we have reconciliation 
to bring a sense of harmony to those that we love and we care for. And, uh, and let's hope I can achieve that in 15 minutes. But that should be, that should be fairly easy, I'm sure. We'll have time left over to do something else. That'll be really, really good. Look, um, someone's defined that word reconciliation as this, to be at peace again. And I think there's something incredible. We know in a family when there's peace in a family, you know what that feeling is like. It's something incredibly valuable. It's something we want to chase after. There's many, many stories of reconciliation in the Bible. The Bible talks about it strongly. But here's one verse that stands out to me. 2 Corinthians 5. Starting at verse 18, it says this. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So reconciliation is the job of every person who's a believer. You know, it's not some people who are paid to do it. It's not the evangelist down the street who's standing on the street corner. It's actually all of our role. But it's not just reconciling people to God. God's intention is that we will be so good at reconciling people one to each other. There's this incredible verse that occurs in Matthew 5. It says this, Matthew 5, 23. This is Jesus speaking. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. I'm blown away by this. It's actually God's preference that we would reconcile to someone else and put that first and then come back to God and bring that reconciliation to God. And I'm like, God, Why would you do that? Why would you prioritize that? And to be honest, I don't know why. I don't know why he'd do that. The only, my only guess is this, is that when you're sitting around a table as a dad and everyone has a sense of harmony around, you're you're not just the only benefactor of that. Everybody is a benefactor of that whole thing. When there is a sense of harmony. So today I want to spend just a few moments speaking about this. But can we pray first? Let's just pray and invite the presence of God. God, I thank you that you're here. Lord, I thank you that you are our heavenly Father. And Lord, no matter how we've experienced our own Father, God, you are the one who has always been there with us and for us. God, you invite us to sit at your table. And Lord, I pray that today, even as we examine our own hearts, Lord God, that you would come and move by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen, Amen. Well, the first key step when it comes to reconciliation is we need, to be, we need to freely offer forgiveness. Freely offer forgiveness. You know, reconciliation in its most basic form is not counting people's sins against them. As simplistic as that, not counting people's sins against them. And maybe there's been someone in your world, in your life, maybe it's a work colleague, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, and there's been a distance between you and them. Maybe it was caused by something that they did. Well, God's word to us is the first step is to freely offer forgiveness. Stop counting their sins against them. Stop going over that and recounting those sins. There's an amazing story of reconciliations, amazing stories right throughout the Bible. Not the least of these is in John chapter eight, starting at verse three. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd 
teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his fingers. And then he demanded, then they, uh, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, I find this a really, really odd story, by the way. I think this is strange that in a temple, it's not like we here in a church service like, you know, hey, let's bring someone up who sinned. All right, let's put them in front of him. Hey, this guy, Bruce here, pretty sure I found him at the TAB. You know, he's placing a bet. You know, uh, we need to vote the guy out. You know what I mean? Like, we, we don't do that. Some people looking around like, oh, do we do that here in church? No, we don't do that here in church, you know? You know, it's right. Okay, I'm right with my TAB. Then, yeah, it's good. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, no, no, no. I'm not talking, I'm not condoning that either. But anyway, there we go. But look, there, there it is. They're kind of trying to do this in a temple scenario. But the second was, you know, doesn't it take two people, you know, in this kind of scenario, this particular sin? But, you know, we don't hear about him at all. No, Bruce, I'm pretty sure he's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, uh, he had nothing to do with this at all. But uh, there we go. We don't mention him. But then the, the mere fact that this whole thing is out in public in front of everybody. Everybody's viewing this. Everybody is talking about this. This is the attention of the whole temple court that day. But the amazing thing is there's a small, small thing inside of us. It's hidden, but it's there. When someone's hurt us, when someone's kind of cut across us, when they've done wrong by us, this little piece inside of us would love that it got made public, that everyone knew how they'd, how they'd mistreated us. Yeah, there's something we kind of have inside of us to think, I wish this was out in the open. And we've got our, our reasons to justify why we think, you know, we're on the right here. You know, we're on the right here. I mean, like these guys, they had the book of Moses. Surely, you know, they were backed by a, by a right thing. But I love Jesus' response. His response slowed everything down. Like he's writing in the dust. No one had a clue what he was writing in the dust. People have speculated what it was. But then suddenly he brought this disarming truth about. And in one moment, this one woman was on trial in front of everybody. And now in the next moment, everyone is self-assessing. They've put themselves up in that courtroom and said, man, am I really blameless? And Jesus said, hey, go ahead and do it if you want. The first person just needs to fulfill this requirement. No sin at all. Once they fulfill that, go right ahead, guys. Go right ahead. And the astounding thing is that everyone walked away from that moment. Suddenly everyone realized, man, I, I don't have a blameless sheet. Man, I got things in my past that I'm really not proud of at all. And that's how Jesus totally changed that scenario. Matthew 7 says this, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus told incredible parables throughout the Bible, stories. I love his stories because in that, he's trying to teach us so much more in so many deep levels. He told the story as parable about forgiveness. It's in Matthew chapter 18. It says this, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? 
Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. In other translations, it's 70 times seven. Back in the day, they thought three was the limit. You know, so when this guy's saying this, he's like, seven, man, that's generous, you know, two and a bit more, you know? But no, 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 no. He said, no, 70 times seven. It, it just doesn't stop. He goes on to say this, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And he finishes with this. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Man, that's, a, that's an intense scripture. Why have I chosen this for Father's Day? At this stage, I'm really not sure. Um, but um, I really feel like, I really feel like, I just want us to come back to this picture. Man, the greatest gift we could give our Father is to sit around a table with other people in our world and know that there's harmony between us. And that is incredibly valuable to our dad. That's why he spends so much time talking about reconciliation, forgiveness, there's some fascinating things in the story, like uh, some symbolism Jesus used. 10,000 denarii was the, uh, was the original amount. 10,000 is the largest Greek number that they had at the time, largest, uh, largest Greek number. And denarii was the largest coin they had. And this translation calls it gold. So essentially what he's saying, this is an enormous amount of money. In today's currency, this would have been worth millions, all right? And this was a servant. This guy had no way to pay that. It was an unpayable debt. What I love about this is in the story is that the master didn't go, well, I'll give you more time to pay it back. He goes, no, no, we're gonna wipe the whole slate clean. We're gonna forgive the lot. It's all canceled, which is amazing. The second servant's debt was way smaller. It actually was a tiny amount. It was insignificant. Yet after being forgiven of his whole debt, he still held someone else to account. And was incredibly angry about that. The crazy thing is sometimes it's the small things that get into our relationships. You can start with a bad comment here, a misinterpreted statement there. Maybe someone did something to really offend you. And now it's grown to be a bigger thing. And there's a wedge between you. You realize it's been a few weeks since you've spoken. Maybe it's been months. You know, maybe you avoid being around them. I don't know. But sometimes it's the small things that get between us. But we never, we keep counting their sins against us. We don't let go of it and it grows bigger and bigger. But the master's response was quite, was quite intriguing. When he realized that person hadn't forgiven the debt, 
he ends up throwing him in prison and asking them to be tortured. I'm just intrigued. Jesus made this story up. He put that detail in there, you know, like, isn't that harsh? You know, come on, Jesus. I've heard commentaries about it. One person said this, perhaps Jesus is referring to the way a person feels when they cannot forgive. They remain bitter and resentful and end up suffering the most. And we all know that sometimes it's been true of our experience. We've all felt that. And if, in case the message shouldn't land, Jesus finished with this particular sentence. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Man, this isn't the only time in Scripture where Jesus says, you must forgive someone else, otherwise I won't forgive you. They're actually reliant upon each other. But when we do forgive, when we let go of that, when we stop counting that person's sins against us, it releases us. We come out of that prison. We come out of that torture zone. And we actually allow a new opportunity for a relationship to flourish and grow. And this is an incredible gift to our God. The second point is this. We need to restore their dignity. We need to restore their dignity. What is that? It's a state of being worthy. It's a state of being honored and respected. Peter, as one of Jesus' disciples, you know, he openly denied Jesus three times. A lot of us might have heard the story. It was the night before Jesus died. And, uh, and you know, Jesus was saying, hey, you guys are all going to leave me shortly. He was like, no way, I'd never do that. You know, all these other guys, they could leave you. And he says it in front of them. Like, I love his boldness, you know. Hey, but I would never do that. I love you heaps more than these guys do. I would never deny you. Jesus as well, to be honest, before the rooster crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. And in and, and one of the scriptures, it talks about the fact when, when Peter made his third denial, the rooster crowed. And Jesus and Peter could see each other. They were in eye distance, like, the, you know, in eyesight of each other. And Peter said, as soon as he saw him, he left the courtyard and wept bitterly. It was a moment of failure for him. It was a moment of absolute failure. And the very next time Jesus met him was after he'd risen again. He was on a beach. He cooked breakfast to the disciples. Peter came in. They were shocked. They never mentioned what had happened. And then we pick up the story in John 21, verse 15. It says this, <clears throat> after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Don't you love that? He's picking up, you said you love me more than these guys. Do you still love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus has asked him a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. So this is a parallel to the three times that Peter denied him. And now three times he's actually offering forgiveness. But not only that, he's restoring him. He said, tell you what, Peter, I know you love me. Now, this is what you do when you love me. You feed my sheep. You feed my lambs. Peter, you got a purpose. That purpose isn't over. Why are you out there fishing? Peter, I've got a plan for you. Don't walk away from that plan. I'm restoring your dignity. I'm letting you know you got a place in my house. you got a place in my family. Man, you may have done that, but I'm offering free forgiveness and I'm giving you your dignity back. It's an amazing thing that He does. I love the way that, that He does that. Jesus doesn't write people off. 
I love the fact that he's like that. Have you ever, uh, 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 there's a story, we don't have time to read it, but there's a story in Scripture where um, uh, Jesus found like some of the disciples arguing with each other. They're having an argument. He said, guys, what's going on? So oh, we're just actually arguing who's going to be the, you know, the most powerful when it comes to heaven. I'm like, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Thought, what are these guys arguing about? That is the weirdest thing. Can you imagine? Being here on a Sunday morning, you overhear three staff members of our church just having an argument up in the parents' room. You lean a little bit closer. You don't want to be known by them, but you want to hear. You know how it works. So just like, oh, sorry, no, I didn't see you guys there. I was just changing my baby's nappy. You know, and, uh, and, and, and you hear them and they're arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. My gosh, wouldn't you go, we need to fire these staff right now. You know, these go, what the heck is, do they have no idea about what Christianity is about? But I love the fact that Jesus never scolded them for it. He never berated them and said, oh my gosh, you guys, are I've spent years with you. It's all wasted. No, he goes, hey, you wanna know how to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I'll tell you how to be the greatest. And he said, just become a servant. I've come as one who serves. And I love the fact that he just doesn't write people off. I don't know if you've ever wondered, maybe it, does it occur to you that maybe we are more concerned and worried about people's faults than God is? Man, we pick it up. We pick that stuff up big time. Maybe we're more concerned than God. I mean, the fact is God knows our faults better than we do. But it doesn't make, He doesn't count us out. He says, man, I still got a plan for you. I got a purpose for you. Get back up on your feet again. Let's go. I'm going to restore your dignity. And that's what He does. God's incredible like that. The last thing is this. We need to celebrate them for who they are. Celebrate them for who they are. Man, if there's anything our social media world has done that's, that's been a real shocker, is it's caused us to be so polarised in our views. We're so black and white. We can love one, someone some, one minute, as soon as they do something wrong, man, they're cancelled. We're cancelling them out. And then we paint everything they do with this black brush. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. I, I'm, I'm, I was debating whether I talk about this, but this is going to be controversial. But here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's hit some something this morning. There was this one conference we did run a few years ago. And, uh, and, and I can't remember exactly the theme. It was something like awake. It was awake, you know. And, and we had this, it was like awake or sleeper. There we go. The idea was, you know, we're, we're encouraging the church to come alive and come awake. So we had this imagery, right, of, of someone and their eye, you know, is closed and then it's opening. And we focused it on one eye, very artistic. It's amazing. Uh, and, you know, and uh, all these kind of imagery around it. And then, uh, and then I, just leading into the conference, that image was going around social media a lot. Then I had a couple of conversations with the people. The first conversation, I was like, what? what? What's the problem here? He says, have you ever seen the reference? Have you seen the similarities between that eye and the eye of Horus? Like, what is the eye of Horus, you know? And, uh, and then he started talking about there's this ancient Egyptian eye, you know? And uh, some of you have seen hieroglyphics of it, the eye of Horus. It was known as this magical thing that would bring charms and, and heal you. And, and like, I'm like, wow, really? I, I'm pretty sure, I'll check with the creative team, but I don't know if they uh, researched the eye of Horus. Like, um, I don't think that was there. And then, and then we're getting to it. Well, in actual fact, it's also... Uh, linked to the eye of providence or the all-seeing eye, which you'll find in the American you know, dollar bill, sitting inside a big triangle, you know, that all-seeing eye. And uh, they're saying, we're pretty sure this, this whole imagery is linked to the Illuminati. And I'm like, let me just check with the creative team again. Are we, are we, uh, 
guys who are near us on, in the Illuminati, well, like, I'm pretty sure none of us, I think we were thinking of Waco Sleeper. I think we're thinking the church, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I'm thinking, I think I felt like, I think I've calmed people's fears, you know, in this congregation. And then I remember turning up to the TSB Arena on the, on, uh, for our conference and um, got to see the backdrop. And I'm always excited about the backdrop. The backdrop's really gonna be, yeah, what's the backdrop this year? And I walk into the building, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a giant triangle. What the heck? What the heck? I remember getting, I remember getting on the phone to Simon Faisandia. Simon, mate, why, why'd you choose a triangle? Are we just exploring different shapes? Felt like a triangle really was, okay, all right, okay. Sure enough, mate, in the next few weeks, video after video on YouTube, Arise Church, the Illuminati, blah, 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 you know. Um, there's another member of our congregation sitting here I won't name, but... Um, uh, he happened to have a, you know, he happened to have a, 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 a sports top on, you know, one of his favorite sports team had the number of the person on his sleeve, you know, and uh, that video, which was made by some obviously genius in the United States, uh, focused this video on his sleeve and the number that was on his sleeve. And he said, that number, well, I can't remember what it was, maybe it was 40, 33, 42, something like that. He said, that is, that is the level this guy's on in the Illuminati. That is right there. <laughs> pretty sure, pretty sure. I, I checked with Joel. He was, he's, not in the, he's not in the Illuminati either. But, uh, but the, <laughs> the crazy thing is, man, we put, as soon as we put this filter on, everything, it's like this magnetic pull. Everything comes into this. When someone wrongs you, now suddenly everything goes into this filter. Everything they do is wrong. We paint all their intentions with a black brush. Surely there is nothing good about them anymore. And maybe we've been hurt, maybe rightfully so. But then we just suddenly focus everything that they've done is wrong. You know what? God does not treat us like that. He does not treat us like that. You know, I love that about God. He gives us a second chance, another opportunity, a chance to step up again. You know, in the book of Acts, God says that, that David was a man after my own heart. Talked about what an incredible man David was. David, he did some amazing things. He also did some shocking things. He fell in love with another man's wife, slept with her. She gets pregnant. He's like, you know, oh, by the way, I'm sorry for any kids that's in the room today. But, um, you know, uh, but, then, but then, um, then he tries to cover the whole thing up, you know? Like he, he gets his, you know, her husband to come home. He was at war and, and maybe he probably had the night together and, you know, but he wouldn't sleep anywhere near his wife. He was too full of integrity for that. So then he has him murdered. It, this is going from bad to worse to worse. You know, yet eventually he repents. He comes back to God. He God, how could I have done that to you? I'm so sorry. God doesn't count him out. He restores him. He restores his uh, sense of faith in him. He still says, you're a man after my heart. He actually celebrates him for who he is, celebrates him for the man that he is. And that's what I love about God. <laughs> celebrates him for the man he is. God's incredible like that. I'm gonna tell one more, one more parable, one more parable. And I think it's definitely the, the most poignant of all the parables when it comes to reconciliation. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11, says this. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. If a team could come and join me, that would be great. A man had two sons. The younger told his father, I want a share. I want my share of your estate now before you die. What an, what an insult. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the youngest son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time 
his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. Filled with love and compassion. Man, that's amazing. I mean, his son had shown him the biggest insult. He said, you have no value to me as a father. Man, what a Father's Day gift that would be. No value to me as a father. Actually, it'd be better if you're dead because then I could receive my inheritance. As soon as he receives the inheritance, he's a couple days later, he's off. He doesn't see any value in the family home. But what's his father's position towards him? Says it here. Filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead. He's now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. He offered him forgiveness freely. The next thing he did is he restored his dignity. His son would have returned to him in rags. He said, no, 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 no. Put the finest robe. Put the finest robe on my son. I want his dignity to be restored. I want him to stand up with his head held high amongst the other families we celebrate. I want him to look good. I want him to realize he's honored. He's respected. He's loved. We've forgiven that. We're honoring him for who he is. And the last thing, we're celebrating him for who he is. They put a ring on his finger. It would have meant this is my son, your family, your family. Maybe everything you did, you rebelled against us as a family. Maybe there's nothing we can count for you in your past life, but we can count this. You're in the family. You're my son, and I celebrate you for that. Can we just stand to our feet right across the room? <clears throat> Man, I really hope that uh, today's message hasn't felt in any way kind of heavy. I just have this picture of what it's like to be a dad sitting at a table where there's no, there's no tension, there's no underlying unforgiveness, bitterness. I felt like the greatest gift we could give God, our Father, is to reconcile some of those differences that we have. And we're just going to take a moment to, to sing, to invite the presence of God. But I wonder whether God wants to use the next couple of minutes. I don't know, maybe there's something, that, someone that will come to your mind. You realize it's, maybe it's a small thing. Because let's not let a small thing become any bigger. Maybe it is a big thing. Maybe like, I don't even know where to start. Maybe you start with that first point. Freely offer forgiveness. It might be the hardest thing you'll ever have to do. But I tell you what, it can unlock a new world to you that you've been hoping for, maybe never thought was possible. 
So I'm going to invite us as we pray. We're inviting God to be the Lord of our life. We're inviting Him to take first place. And in that, we're inviting Him to come and speak to our hearts. Allow God to speak to you. Invite His presence here. Thank you for joining us for the Arise Church podcast. We hope this message has blessed you. For more content or resources, visit arisechurch.com. Matiwa, see you soon.